Welcome to the Lift Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Neff. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Cortez. Welcome to the seventh installment of the Lift Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam Neff, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kyle Cortez. Kyle, how are you doing? Good morning, everybody. I'm doing great. Um, I don't really have much going on in my life right now. Um, training has been pretty good. Um, because work hasn't been as busy, recoverability has been a lot higher. So fatigue from work has been a lot lower. And yeah, I, I usually work overtime on, on weekends, but uh, this, this weekend I didn't, uh, I happened to not have any overtime. So um, I was able to take another full day off. So that is, that is nice. It's, it's what nice uh, what hours do you normally, sorry about that. What, uh, what hours do you normally work on Saturday? So Saturdays we usually go from it could be from four thirty to about one o'clock or so to two o'clock. Sometimes we'll start a little bit later, six thirty, um, until about yeah one one or two o'clock. But yeah, like uh, this time we didn't have any any work going on, so yeah we didn't we didn't have to have to work, which is nice. That's. Awesome, yeah. That uh, yeah. especially going into the fourth week of your program, your your last week there, um, yeah, that's really exactly. nice to have a little recovery open up for yourself. Yeah, my weekend hasn't been too crazy either. Um, actually, just finished the fourth week of, of my training program. I'm doing a deload week this upcoming week. Uh, just a couple of things around the garage, the the lift lab. I had um, had to replace the garage door seal, which we were talking about before we hopped on here. And uh, got a little bit more to do this afternoon with that, but um, yeah, everything's going well over here. Uh, so today's topic, we're going to get into myths and misconceptions around building muscle and resistance training. Um, so let's have you start this off. Yeah, so there's a lot of information floating around and it's kind of hard to discern what is, you know, good information what is not good information but i think among the general population we we kind of look towards like media as this this source of information and how you interpret this media and who you're getting this um information from oh, excuse me who you're getting this information from can really make a difference in you know what you do and how much progress that you're actually making and you know um if with like popular media like tv and you know instagram and stuff like that there's um a lot of focus towards you know what you must be doing what you should be doing unless you're uh if you're not doing these certain things you're wasting your time and i think that um you know with women and females um there's a lot a lot of saying that comes around like oh um, you know, I don't want to get too big, or I don't want to get too bulky if I if I start weight training, and I am here to tell you that uh, you know there's uh, a lot that goes on when it comes to putting on muscle, and women don't have the propensity um, to put on muscle uh, as say um, a male would. And if you wanted to expand on that a little bit, Adam. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, they see magazines, they see people on social media and they're like, oh my gosh, this person weight trains, obviously they're massive, they have, uh, you know, vascular, they got veins showing, they're humongous. And they think that it's just as easy as just once you pick up a heavy weight that you're just going to turn into into that, right? But women are not going to be built to uh, house that much muscle unless they are taking exogenous hormones, right? Um, it takes a lot of dedication to get big. Um, so I hear this way too often, especially among my female clients. Like, you know, I want to I want to tone up. I don't want to get too big. And um, I always use this joke, but I've been trying to get big for 15 years and uh, it hasn't happened yet. So um, it's probably not an issue uh, for most people, right? Um, and you had kind of talked about like we, we get a lot of our information from social media, uh, the, the general population, right? They get a lot of information from social media and from uh, TV and stuff like that, right? So uh, I just wanted to kind of expand on that too because I think that's pretty interesting. Because when you get on social media, it's just a bite-sized uh, piece of information. And we see this all the time in the, in the hypertrophy realm. Uh, one person says something where this could be a possibility and then somebody takes it and completely runs with it, right? And they create a lot of engagement that way. Um, so my, my wife and I, we don't watch a whole lot of TV, uh, but we had started using this service called Pluto TV and it's like free TV that has ads on it, right? And it's been a couple years since I've seen like TV ads and commercials and it just blew my mind these marketing tactics and gimmicks when it comes to like uh, like a testosterone supplement for people over 40 years old um, or a fat loss shake for uh, females trying to quote-unquote tone up um, so you're right, man. There's just so much information out there, and it's really hard to sift through it. And that's exactly why we have this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, the image that I think females are trying to go for is more like that bikini look. And you know, like you said, it's going to take years for you to like put on muscle. So you're not going to look like you know Mrs. Olympia or you know some of like these figure competitors. Uh, just by picking up weights for a year or two you know it takes time to to add on quality muscle and you need to be quote-unquote on point with like your nutrition right but it's funny that you bring up that that toning thing because people think oh i need to do you know high reps for toning just like that that scene from the office you know with michael scott he's uh he's using those really light dumbbells and he's like i'm going for tone i'm not going for bulk (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's another huge one, right? Because like people think about toning, they don't really understand what they're trying to convey. And really what they're trying to convey is gaining muscle mass or maybe losing body fat. Um, but there's really no such thing as toning. Um, we could say if you gain some muscle, you might look more toned, but you're just gaining muscle. If you lose some body fat, you might look more toned, but you're really just losing body fat, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, is that the scene where he has like the... The like three and five pound dumbbells in the back of his <laughs> of his car yeah 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 and, yeah. and then i think there was like a, a 10 pound one he's like yeah i'm not going for bulk i'm just going for high reps, <laughs> reps and trying to tone 
that was a funny episode. Oh man, that's a desert great. That that one and uh, there's another one where they have like a, I think it's Gabe and Dwight have a, a hamstring curl challenge. Uh, these are in the later episodes, but uh, that's pretty funny too if you guys haven't seen that. Um, so that kind of feeds into the next discussion around uh, building muscle, and that's you must train a certain way. So I'll let you elaborate on that one. Yeah. So there really is no specific way to train. There are many different training styles, and what it comes down to is what you enjoy and what gets you excited to get into the gym to make progress, and what's going to get you into the gym consistently. And there's a big debate going around right now about you know training to failure or training to RIR or training with reps in reserve. So, you know, you need to be able to find what works for you. Uh, for me, I personally can't train to failure all the time because uh, the amount of fatigue that it generates is just too much because I work a very active job. I work um, building scaffolding. I'm always climbing. I'm carrying material on my shoulders and whatnot. I'm on my feet all, my, uh, all day. You know, I can't um, have that fatigue from training and that fatigue from work um, continuously piling up because I'm just going to have to take a deload after one or two weeks you know it's just too much for me so being able to scale back that intensity and ramping it up um, to a point where I accumulate fatigue and when it's just too unbearable then we drop back down is going to be better for me in the long run because I have more weeks of productive training Whereas if I'm training to failure every single week, you know, I'm, I'm just gassed by like a week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, yeah I, I, we had talked about this on the last podcast, but I had done that little experiment training to failure for multiple months on end. And um, I can confirm, yeah, it, it burned me completely out. Um, I mean, it took me like a little over two weeks to fully feel like I was ready to hop into another training program. Um, and then, you know, I know this is kind of a discussion around in the hypertrophy realm too. It's like the people who are more advanced potentially might need to train closer in proximity to failure more often. But at the same time, again, it boils back down to what works for you. Um, because if you're stronger and you're, you know, one rep in reserve, on a on a barbell squat that's going to create more fatigue than if somebody's doing 185 pounds on a barbell squat so maybe being more advanced actually warrants itself to using rar more effectively to manage your uh, fatigue essentially right Does that make yeah. sense yeah, yeah totally makes sense cool. and this extends just not just to um the style of training that we do but also like the exercises that we do and you know there's a lot of people out there saying oh free weight movements are king you have to do free weight movements over machines uh you know and i think a lot of the people that make these hard statements never really known what it's like to train another individual right so like some people that you know aren't built for barbell squats you know they have long femurs they have short torsos they get into a really um bent over position at the bottom of a free weight squat 
you know, it's not going to be comfortable for them and the stimulus to fatigue ratio is going to be a lot higher for them. They're going to probably um, use more of their lower back um, as they start to fatigue. And, you know, some of these trainers are like, oh, you have to do free weight squats because, you know, Tom Platts, you know, he went, he did barbell squats, he squatted all the time, trained to failure, but, you know, is that going to elicit a good enough stimulus for our quads for that person that has long femurs and a short torso probably not you know and you know there's a lot of different great options out there for you you don't have to be married to one specific exercise so maybe for that person we can do something more stable like a hack squat or pendulum yep. squat yeah yeah i absolutely love that and you know this is the the type of scenario where like people, Instagram influencers will take that information and then be like, nobody should barbell squat ever, right? And then if we look at somebody like um, like Matt Ogus, um, if you guys don't know who Matt Ogus is, just go watch one of his squatting videos. His squats are phenomenal and it's apparent that they very much work well for his quadriceps. Um, but again, that's, um, a case-by-case -case basis, right? You got somebody with a longer torso, shorter femurs, uh, shorter lower body, half in general, and a barbell squat might align really, really well for them. For the taller individual, maybe doing something like a pendulum or a hack is gonna be the better option, but also just not creating that complete uh, idea that the hack squat is indefinitely the better exercise for everybody, right? Um, but. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Another discussion would be like, um, like tricep pushdowns, right? Like a like a straight bar tricep pushdown might not be the most, uh, the best in terms of alignment. And I had the, this question the other day: is if you went from a tricep pushdown without the best alignment, like a V bar or a straight bar, and you're getting no pain in your elbows or anything like that or in your joints. And then you go to a more optimally aligned exercise like a dual cable cross tricep extension or a single arm tricep extension. Will you get better results? And I'm like, uh, maybe, um, but not necessarily. So something that's more optimal doesn't always mean that the results are going to be better. Yeah. The margin is just so small when you start to, um, you know, get into the nuance of like the, the different exercises that you can do for alignment like for your uh, in your example the the tricep straight bar tricep pushdowns versus um a cable cross tricep extension right um yeah. when it comes to exercise um selection uh, we do want to be choosing exercises that align well um Again, going back to the whole Instagram thing, I see a lot of females doing, you know, a lot of stuff with um, the band around the knees and, you know, doing stuff from like a cable pulley and doing like squats with the band around their knee. And I think those type of fitness influencer movements really don't do much for you. I think that's where the information where you really need to start digging a little bit deeper into um, mechanics and anatomy um, to be able to, you know, discern what exercises are good and what is just wasting your time. Because a lot of those movements that are 
focus around females and using these bands is just trying to get that burn i feel what do you what do you think about that adam i agree 100 percent. a lot of it is very sensation based uh like the hip thrusts especially the kaz glue bridge uh the the banded fire hydrants the lateral walks the bands around the knees um 100 that's just like that sensation based uh misconception um yeah 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 don't really have much to say about that yeah i could go on a whole total rant about that but yeah i guess i won't like recap this whole thing but did you listen to the the revive stronger podcast with joe bennett recently yes i did actually okay. yeah like his discussion around episode. like phil heath doing like skull crushers and straight bar curls and he's been doing it for 10 years has no elbow problems and he has great arms if he were to start working with him he'd say uh, are you having any pain no okay keep doing these things but maybe let's have that discussion around alignment to make sure that you know if you do have these issues that pop up in the future we can pivot to something real quick and, and resolve that um, so I think we can move on to the next one, yeah? Yeah, I, I just do want to end that on saying that individuality is going to be the key here. You know, Phil Heat's workout um, isn't going to be specifically good for you. His exercises, his exercise you know, selection was good for him. Um, doing his workout isn't going to make you Mr. Olympia. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah, perfectly summed up. Exactly. Cool. I want to move on to the next one here. Yeah. So the next one we had here was that you have to lift heavy to gain muscle, right? Mm. Um, so you had put down that heavy is, is relative to the individual, relative to the person. And I'll let you go ahead and expand on that. Yeah. Um, you know, with these, these crowds of like, especially with the growth in like power lifting and whatnot, everybody um, wants to be able to lift heavy. Uh, everybody says that you need to lift heavy to grow, which is why you see like a lot of people when they start off their ex uh, their their workouts, say they had bench or like, these big compound movements, they'll start with like a heavy single, and then they'll go back, and then they'll do drop sets or um, back down sets for reps, which I don't personally agree with. That's just adding, you know, um, extra fatigue. Um, doing these reps that are, you know, five reps and under consistently doesn't mean that you're going to get bigger. Um, you know, the, the adaptations that come with um, high rep training or um, low rep training, one rep maxes and stuff like that are correlated more with um, the neurological side of adaptations, not necessarily the, the muscle building aspect. So consistently lifting over 85% of one rep max is just going to increase risk of injury, increased, um, you know, joint um, discomfort and joint um, stress. So, but, you know, research does show that lifting anywhere from 30% of one rep max to 85% of one rep max grows muscle. But there's also a caveat there that um, they must be taken five reps away from failure so if you're within five reps away from failure with 30 percent uh, it shows just as much growth as doing as going five reps away from failure with 85 percent adam 
Yeah. Um, so as far as the percentages go, I don't know how this aligns. Uh, but I remember, I remember Lane Norton talking about this study where they had a group do. I, I don't know. Remember the specifics. I can I can kind of generalize, generally sum it up here. But um, essentially, they had a group that was doing like ten sets of three, and I believe three sets of ten. Um, regardless, um, they used weights that actually equated volumes. So volumes were totally the same and they measured hypertrophy and essentially they had the same exact amount of hypertrophy. Now that's with the caveats that you had talked about too. So if you're doing, you know, 10 sets of three, man, that's going to take you a really long time. And there's a potential that it's going to beat up your central nervous system. It's going to beat up your connective tissue, your joints and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, that's again, where we, probably want to find that middle ground of uh, 30 to 85%. Mm -hmm. um, and then just to kind of expand a little bit on like, you have to lift heavy to gain muscle. Um, and I think this happens very often in the hypertrophy realm is that a lot of people just think that it, like the goal is, is, is almost like a powerlifting goal. You're moving weight from point A to point B, no matter how you get it done, as long as you move it there, you're, you're in the clear, right? Um, but of course, we do want to have some mind to muscle connection there. We want to have some intention that we're making with that muscle that we're trying to hypertrophy. But at the same time, and, and this is where it can kind of get, it's kind of on that spectrum, right? Uh, on the same time, we don't want to focus so much on intention that uh, we complicate the exercise because we have all these cognitive processes going on in our background, trying to uh, specifically contract our uh, clavicular pec. Right. Um, so, you know, just not focusing too much on squeezing the muscle and, and the, the intention behind it. But at the same time, uh, not just moving weight from point A to point B and doing it in a, in a manner that has some intention behind it. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself, Adam. Awesome. So we'll move on to cardio. Um, I'm going to let you elaborate on that, and then I will touch on it because I just listened to a podcast uh, with Greg Potter yesterday about this. Ah, yes, cardio is the killer of gains. Yeah, so a lot of us, <clears throat> when it comes to cardio, especially in the off season, we don't really, you know, think about doing cardio. We only think of cardio as this, um, this aid in fat loss. But there are a lot of benefits that come from. Um, doing cardio in the off season, uh, especially with larger individuals, uh, you're carrying more adipose tissue. You're carrying a lot more muscle tissue. Uh, you know, you can you see this for yourself. Um, daily tasks start to become a little bit more difficult. Things like going upstairs and whatnot, and this is where things like um, cardio in the off season can really help. Uh, if you're really, you know, say short of breath after doing leg press, then you know, doing some light intensity, steady state uh, cardio can really uh, benefit you and it's not going to hurt your ability to recover. Um, but it has to be low um, intensity, steady state. As you get into more of like the, the moderate to high intensity, um, that's where you start crossing um, into more endurance uh, training territory. 
So um, you, you do want to be able to choose a modality that you enjoy, something that's low impact, doesn't cause a lot of joint stress. So maybe something like cycling versus you know going for a light jog. Um, and again, you want to keep it low intensity. You don't want to um, interfere with your recoverability because that's going to eat into your resources and uh, yeah, your recoverability when it comes to weight training. Adam? Yep, yep. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, I like doing uh, high intensity interval training, like doing a 20 second sprint on a bike, giving yourself a 10 second break, or maybe a little longer and repeating that. You know, that can be very time efficient if you need to get in some, some sort of cardiovascular work. Um, however, it does add fatigue and uh, it's definitely not more enjoyable than a light intensity steady state. Um, and light intensity, you know, I always tell people the great thing about light intensity steady state is that you can uh, you can essentially to kill two birds with one stone. You can listen to a podcast, you can listen to music, you can listen to an audio book, um, and you can even have a conversation with somebody. You know, it's, it's not one of those uh, scenarios where you're like crippled and then and, uh, tons and tons of pain. Uh, but I found this pretty interesting. And this was uh, from Greg Potter in the Revive Stronger podcast, but he had talked about, you know, if, if somebody is like, let's say you have to travel and you're like going around uh, for, for two, two weeks or so, and you can't do any weight training, uh, maybe doing some sort of high intensity interval training um, can actually help you retain muscle um, because high intensity interval training is so similar in terms of like bout, uh, the time bout uh, to resistance training. Uh, but like you had said, we really don't want to uh, prioritize our hit cardio over something like our resistance training. If our goal is muscle building muscle mass, right? Yeah, you, do, you don't want to be spending so much time doing cardio. Essentially, you don't want to be spending, uh, you, well, you don't want to be exceeding more than half the hours you spend weight training. So for example, if you do 10 hours a week of weight training a week, you don't want to be doing more than five hours of um, cardio but if we're doing low intensity steady state again it's not going to be a lot of calories that we're burning um, it's not really going to eat into recoverability too much but you know doing something like 30 minutes uh, once or twice a week is not going to absolutely eat at your gains yeah yeah and if you if you guys are one of those people that you know you you walk up a flight of stairs and you're like, it's probably a good idea to do some cardio uh, because that little bout of walking up the stairs and being out of breath is is a stressor on your body. Um, so you know, even if you're a power lifter, um, even if you don't have any his, like history, family history of, of heart conditions or anything like that, um, it still very well could be a good idea. And if you do have uh, like a family history of, of having heart issues, that could be more of a reason why someone might want to include cardio into their regimen versus somebody else. Now, would you do cardio on, on the side of doing uh, steps per se and counting your expenditure? So you're in saying, addition to, would, you would you do that in addition to, to steps, I'm saying? 
or would you do yes. like low in this uh, low intensity steady state um, as a part of your expenditure daily expenditure and and steps and whatnot so I would say that if we're trying to get cardiovascular adaptations putting somebody on like a, a modality like a treadmill or an elliptical and having them like actually make it more difficult than like I know when I go on like a brisk walk outside, you know, you're burning calories, but it's not going to be as cardiovascularly demanding as if you're on a, an incline of 11 and a speed of three and a half on a treadmill. Um, but, you know, as far as tracking that kind of stuff, I mean, it can be, um, I know some people who, you know, if they walk on a treadmill, they actually take their, their step counter off and then they track their cardio and then they're not tracking their steps dedicated on that cardio. Um, Awesome. Uh, uh, something else I was going to add there. I completely forgot, though. To the uh, cardio kills gains? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, if you guys are prioritizing building muscle, then you know it's probably a good idea not to do your cardio before you do your resistance training. However, if you do it as like a warm-up, like a 10 to 15-minute warm-up, um, I think Greg Potter actually touched on that, um, about that being actually beneficial for hypertrophy in like a couple of studies, but I think they were like beginners. So um, again, I would just say, don't do 30 minutes of cardio before you do leg day, right? Like maybe it would make more sense to do a 10 minute warm up, And then if you have 20 minutes more of cardio to do, maybe you do it after. Um, but that can uh, actually kind of feed into our next discussion. Um, so one of the things I had down was, you know, after you work out, you must replenish glycogen and you must have protein, right? When I was growing up, it was called the anabolic window. If you don't get protein in within 45 minutes of your anabolic window, then you, you lose out on all your gains. Um, and then people were talking about, you have to get carbohydrates in immediately after your workout to replenish glycogen. However, if you work out at let's say 4 p.m. and you have a workout the next day at 4 p.m. and you don't have your carbohydrates until 10 p.m. that night, you're still gonna fully replenish your glycogen, right? Like the timing doesn't matter as long as you have it before the next session. However, the caveat is that if you have two uh, training sessions within one day, Right. So let's say you go in and you do cardio at 7 a.m. It's probably a good idea to have carbohydrates after that cardio or at least before your your training session at 4 p.m. Right. So that you can replenish that glycogen that you burned uh, prior. Yeah. Especially with the, the, the protein and that that window that everybody says that you need to get your protein in. If you're getting adequate amounts of protein during the day, it does not matter. Um, if you if you need to get that protein in you know 30 minutes after your workout because if you're getting uh, one gram um, one to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight um, in a day you're you're having enough protein and you're having equal protein feedings throughout the day say maybe four it's not as important as getting it in you know 30 minutes after your workout yeah yeah and if you have a really hard workout like when we train we are we're sympathetic, we're in that uh, fight or flight, right? So if you just come home and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to drink this protein shake, uh, I have to eat all this food immediately, and you do that, 
and uh, you're not actually uh, parasympathetic, right? You're not like relaxed. You're still, uh, you still have those stress hormones coursing through you. You're not primed for digestion. Um, so if you're not primed for di digestion and you throw a thousand calories into your system, uh, you might have diarrhea, loose stool, you might have an upset stomach. And uh, speaking from personal experience here, uh, I used to do that very often. Yeah, me as well. So wait till you're, uh, you're calm, you're in that parasympathetic state before you actually have a meal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, couldn't have said um, I guess the rest of these, we can kind of just spitball on because um, we're kind of through what you had down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I had pretty similar things the first few. Um, anything else know, that you uh, really we, want to talk about in your, in your notes? Anything else that you really want to touch on? In, in um, your, I think this is notes. a good one. Like... A lot of people will come to me and they're like, well, I want to start weight training, but I don't want to get tight and, and, and rigid. I don't want to lose my flexibility. And my, my response was, you know, we're generally finding more and more now with the research that weight training can actually improve range of motion just as well as, as stretching can. Um, so if you are training and it does make you tight, and you get into bad positions and, and you're losing range of motion, like at your shoulder joint, your hip joint, and stuff like that, it very well could be the fact that uh, you are training in bad positions, right? Um, so like if you're doing an overhead press and you're pressing at, uh, you have the bench set at 90 degrees and you don't have access to that shoulder flexion and external rotation, then you might be finding that extra range of motion at your lower back or maybe along the, sh uh, the shoulder girdle um, through other structures. Um, so if you guys are losing range of motion when you train, it very well could just be due to the improper setup, improper positioning, improper uh, breathing, etc. Yeah, people put, I think, it. stretching in general, I think people put that on a, on a, on a pedestal, I think, um, you know, they think that doing these, these stretches are going to increase your range of motion when it comes to weight training, but that's not um, necessarily the case, um, you know, when we're, when we're weight training, it's actually a weighted stretch. So like, say, um, an RDL, for example. Uh, versus if you were to stand up straight and try to touch your toes, try to stretch your hamstrings. If you have a barbell, a loaded barbell in your hands and you're doing an RDL, you're actually loading um, and stretching the, the hamstring muscles. Yeah. So um, what, what do you think about individuals that, you know, um, that do yoga and you know they, they stretch and they say that they don't want to you know be able to lose that flexibility yeah i i think just what you said just kind of educating them around the fact that like you're doing a loaded stretch and now you're actually building strength in that end range and uh what was kind of crazy i think it was a uh, I don't remember if this was a 3DMJ podcast or um, Iron Culture, but uh, Eric Helms was actually talking about how yogis actually have like a high, high rate of injury. Um, probably because they are pushing themselves to these extreme end ranges. Um, 
but I think it was like, like uh, I looked up one of the most common injuries called uh, Yogi's butt. Have you ever heard of that? No, I have not. Yeah. So like I think a lot of those like forward folds and that type of stuff. Like Yogi's butt, I guess, is like where the the hamstring tendon at the very top um, starts to become irritated and whatnot. But um, I would just have to say, yeah, you know, yogi people tend to have the uh, positioning and body awareness to uh, resistance train without having these issues happen, but just making sure that you are training through as full of a range of motion as you can when you are training, right? Um, and then I guess that kind of feeds into the next discussion of, uh, you know, the, the, the belief that weight training is dangerous, right? And um, I'm not sure exactly where I had seen this either, but there are less injuries that occur in bodybuilding and I even think powerlifting than sports like football and soccer and, uh, you know, other contact sports like that. Um, yeah. So I found that pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of like injury rates and stuff like that, definitely bodybuilding is the lowest of the, of um, you know the different types of training, versus yeah football where it's like full contact, and you know soccer where you're um, potentially like tripping you know other players and stuff like that. But yeah, when it comes to injury in bodybuilding, it's more so associated with the you know the ego lifting the the training you know above 85 percent of one rep max consistently where you start to see those um that risk of injury increase but if you are within that 30 to 85 percent um you're you're pretty safe yeah nothing more to yeah add. and your program doesn't have to just be like just 85 percent right or just 70 percent but Maybe you have a couple movements at 85% and maybe you have a couple movements at 70%, a couple movements at 65% and so on. Um, and the other couple of things here would be not resting long enough between sets, right? Um, so there's been a couple of studies that show that uh, longer rest periods are generally better for performance and thus better for creating mechanical tension. Um, however, you know, we, there's some caveats. If you're short on time in the gym, you could do myo reps, rest pause, giant sets, or if you're trying to create more of that metabolic stress, cell swelling stimulus, then uh, shorter rest periods can be uh, the better option there. Um, and then the last one I had here was uh, program hopping. Uh, so people who just constantly change programs week to week, I mean, I think this is one of those that um, most people are pretty aware of right now, um, but I would say generally just not sticking with exercises long enough. Yeah, yeah, that ties back to everything that we said um, before in terms of um, adherence, and that is finding something that you enjoy, finding things that um, or exercises that get you excited to go into the gym. Um, and train hard you know it's something that's going to bring you back every every single time so program hopping uh you know it's really not going to to get you the significant progress that you you'd like you need to be able to stick with things long term you need to progress um your lifts across weeks across months you know to be able to see the benefit and consistently 
chasing that novel stimulus is is not going to to get you very far you're just going to continue to spin your wheels because you've you've not you haven't stuck with it long enough to see the adaptations and the progress that's required essentially to build muscle yep that's that's absolutely perfect right there um and i would say you know let's say somebody's in a scenario where they've done the same quad movements for nine months plus and that person has let's just say three three different quad movements and they're wondering like okay what what do i do to get my quads to grow they won't grow well maybe you can mess around with um you know first of all how you're executing the movement right to make sure you're getting the most range of motion there at the uh, joint specific to what muscle you're trying to train uh, maybe you look at the volume you look at the uh, rep ranges and whatnot and then you know if you do feel like hey maybe this movement might not be the best option for me um, you know I, I just want people to also know that it is okay to change things um, from time to time um, as long as you have data to support why you are changing that right so if you're doing a, a pendulum squat a leg extension and a split squat you've done it for nine months you're like my quads won't grow why is this uh, again go through all of those other scenarios but you could say hey I'm gonna actually take the pendulum, I'm gonna replace that, I'm gonna do a hack squat instead and, and track my, my progress over the next few months and see if, if that's the change I need to get my quads to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked about this on Instagram as well. Um, my program, essentially since I've started my uh, improvement season, has not changed within the, the last nine months. Essentially, I've been doing you know a lot of the same exercises. I've changed maybe a few things here and there but for the most part it's been the same but it's going to take you some time to be able to find what exercises work well for you and you know what what causes the the most growth um it's something that you're going to have to play around with how many sets you're doing how you're executing the movements first things that we need to look at like adam said is how we're executing the movement um if you can find a way to adjust your form to get a little bit more stimulus then that's going to produce adaptations without having to make major changes to your program yep yep i think it was uh scott stevenson i heard he was talking about this but um he was talking about how like you have a program you have the entire framework here and then over the next six months 12 months or years everything can kind of organically develop into a slightly different program. Hey, this movement's giving me an issue with my bicep. I'm gonna change it to this. Uh, you run that one to the ground and um, then maybe that gets a little stale after a year and then you rotate to something else. And I just like that concept of like um, finding it almost like along the way. Yeah, exactly. There is no perfect exercises you just got to find what works for you just run it into the ground until you know it's it's stale and it you know your maybe your joints are hurting and then okay maybe it's time to switch to to something else for a different stimulus and then you run that um for as long as you can and then hey maybe you know things get a little bit better your joints are feeling a lot better you can jump back to that exercise that was giving you a lot of stimulus as well so constantly chasing that novelty is not going to help you like we like we said you have to stick with um exercises long enough to be able to see if they actually work for you or not and that's not going to take you know a week 
two weeks. It's going to take months for you to be able to to collect this data. Months, years, even. And mic drop. That's perfect right there. That was there. it. <laughs> right on. All right, thank guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time. And uh, if you guys do enjoy these podcasts, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever uh, device you use to uh, listen to your podcast. But it is much appreciated. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to us. Catch you guys in the next episode.